This is Melanie White with another episode of the Habitology Podcast and this is episode number 22, Simplifying Your Business. This is a really important episode, especially if you're fairly new to business or you've been in business for less than 18 months. The reason I say that particular time period is because when you start a business, you often don't have a lot of clarity on exactly what you want to do or who you want to work with. And you're spending those first couple of years figuring that out. As a consequence of that, what often happens is that you find yourself working odd hours, coming up with lots of different ideas, lots of different services and products that you could sell to your market. You start to accumulate a clutter of ideas. Maybe I should coin that phrase, a clutter of ideas. I think you know what I'm talking about. You're trying to get new clients and you're trying all sorts of strategies to do that. And what you end up with is a pile of great resources or programs or ideas, maybe five to ten of them, and you're feeling a bit overwhelmed. There's a clutter of content in your business, in fact. And it's a really good opportunity for you to get clear and to focus and to trim off the dead wood and to simplify your business so that you can do what is making you the most money and pursue just that. It's a really good time to talk about the Pareto Principle, also known as the 80-20 rule. I looked at Wikipedia to get a great overview of the Pareto Rule and they talk about the law of the vital few or the principle of factor sparsity. What that really means is that most of the time about 80% of any outcome come from 20% of the causes. This principle is supposedly named after an Italian economist called Vilfredo Pareto. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And in 1896, he came up with this principle. It's been since applied to business by Richard Koch, who authored the book The 80-20 Principle. And his foundational theory was that 80% of your sales come from 20% of your clients. And I would invite you to take that to a more general level and I bet that if you looked at your business you would find that 80% of your income comes from 20% of the services that you offer. So let's dig into that a little bit so you can become really clear on what it would mean to simplify your business and to apply the 80-20 rule. Theoretically, in principle, the idea is simple. It's that you want to do things well and more specifically you want to do one thing really well rather than a hundred things half-baked. Why do you think that would be important for your business? Well if you do one thing well you'll be seen as a professional, a specialist and an expert and if you do a lot of things half-baked you definitely will not convey the message of professionalism, expertise or the ability to get results. So at a very simple level, people will look at your business and see you as successful if you are able to do that one thing really well and help your clients to get results. Because after all, your business exists because of the results you can help people get. 
Let me say that again. If you're in a service-based business, your business exists because of the results or the outcomes that you can help people get. Thinking about that, it makes total sense to simplify your work and just to focus on one or perhaps two things that you can do really well that can generate great results for your clients. That's inevitably going to grow your business. And it will simplify your calendar. It will simplify your to-do list if you are focusing on doing one or two things really well rather than a pile of things. It's time to shed everything else, to stop creating new things and to promote and sell the things that you have. It's time to find out where most of your money is coming from or which area of your business has the best potential and to follow that. And now I want to talk to you about how exactly to do that, a specific process that you can follow, a step-by-step process to help you simplify your business. I'm going to call it a business audit or a service audit if you prefer. And I'm going to give you my own example of how I did this and of the decisions I made and what's happened since then. A year ago, I was looking at this for myself and I decided to do a work audit. And I was doing this because I was starting to do some study. And as you know, when you're studying a course for a qualification, it takes up and impinges on some of your working hours. So you need to make decisions about how and where you're going to earn income now that some of your available work time is taken up by unpaid study, as it were. So what I did was this, I wrote down the services that I offer in my business and I wrote down the individual types of service I offer as a contractor to another business because I work as a coach trainer as well as running my own coaching business. I teach people how to coach and I do business mentoring as well. So when I got down to it, I wrote down some line items. I got open a spreadsheet and I wrote down that I marked this level of assessment, I marked that level of assessment, I teach this class, I teach that class, and I do that other work as part of my contracting role for this training organisation. So I was able to write out about five or six specific individual tasks that I do for them. Then I wrote down for my own business the three or four different sorts of services that I was offering at the time. For each of those, I have a rate that I get paid by my clients or by the training organisation. So I wrote that down and I looked at how many hours I did on each of those, how many units I sold of each in the past year. So for example, I might have seen 50 business mentoring clients. I might have seen 20 personal coaching clients, I might have marked 50 assessments and so on. So I got really specific at the line item level about what I was doing and what I was paid for each and how many hours I worked in my business on each of those specific tasks. And I was able to do that because with that level of detail because when I create invoices in my business I have line items. I don't create general invoices. I have a specific service title for everything I do, even in my own business. 
which meant that I was able to do this analysis. And what came up for me was this, Pareto's principle. 80% of my income was coming from 20% of what I was doing. That meant I could look at that task list and say, these are the tasks that I want to stop doing and these are the tasks that I will continue doing in this year while I'm studying. Then I was able to go and change the way I worked to stop offering some of the services in my business and to stop doing some of the tasks or less of those tasks for the other organisation that I contract to. And it's really interesting to think that although I was working fewer hours last year, I earned about the same amount of money. In fact, I earned a little bit more because I was focusing on the higher return things that I did. Something else that's come out of that is that my working week is a lot simpler. I realised that some of those tasks I was doing that weren't earning me much money were too detailed and energy draining for me. And when I did those tasks as part of my work week, it quickly sapped my energy so I felt less productive and was able to focus less on the tasks that would have earned me more money. Really interesting to discover that. So what would a business audit look like for you? What if you don't have that level of specificity in your own records or invoices or bookkeeping? What you could do is look back through your last three to six months and see the number of clients that you've had. What sort of service were they buying most often? What sort of service were they buying least often? How did you spend your time in any given week? If you could reflect on the typical week for you, where are the areas that you're wasting time and not being paid? Where are the tasks that you're getting paid and making the most money? Even if you lack the detail in your records, you should be able to get a good feel for what a typical week looks like for you just by reflecting on the sorts of routines and patterns that you have and to look at who has bought and what. What this does is it gives you a starting point for change. The first condition of change in the coaching world is a sense that something isn't right and you can only have that sense if you have some self-awareness. So by doing this work audit, you are able to get really clear on what it is exactly that you're doing right now, a snapshot, and you will able, be able to identify the areas that you wish to change simply by bringing your attention to it. And then you'll be ready to go out and start changing the way you work so that you can simplify what you offer, who you offer it to, reduce the hours that you work, make the same amount of money and have fewer tasks in your week. Sounds great, doesn't it? I invite you to look at things closely to see what they're, how they're benefiting you and to make some changes. All right, that's enough from me to, for today. I hope you're enjoying the process of simplifying your life right now. If you're in my Habitology membership, um, I'm finding it really exciting to do less because I've got way more free time and creative thinking space to do what I love to do and what I'm good at. 
Okay, I'll see you in the next podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now. It's Melanie White here with another episode of the Habitology Podcast. And today I'd like to challenge the notion of perfectionism. A lot of people out there talk about themselves as perfectionists or having perfectionist traits. But I actually think it's a really harmful thing to give yourself a label of any kind, but especially one like this. People often call themselves chocoholics or workaholics or lazy or perfectionists. And perfectionism is not something to aspire to. (laughs) And I want to talk about why that is. Think about it this way. Perfectionism is born from fear. So the consequence of having this sort of fear means that you drive yourself relentlessly. But it can also mean that you don't take any action. And not taking action means that you're avoiding being judged or criticised, having someone point out your flaws. It means that you'll never have to feel second best or be compared to anybody else. So we all have this innate desire to be safe and comfortable, but if your goal is to make any sort of change, any sort of mark on the world, to recover from any sort of major altering event, then you're going to need to let go of your ideas about perfectionism and your belief about yourself in that regard. So let's talk about some of the behaviours that might indicate perfectionist traits. You might like to keep a bit of a tick list for these and see how many of these traits you truly and honestly experience on a regular basis. Number one is procrastinating. And I'm not just talking about putting something off. I'm talking about being a repeat offender. So procrastinating means you know that you've got something to do and you spend a lot of time avoiding that task, vacuuming the spare room, cleaning something, thinking that you'll do it later. A lot of people have this trait, so that could be one that is relevant to you, putting things off until the last minute or trying to get out of things. So that's a perfectionist behavior. The next one is giving up too soon. So how this might show up is that you start some sort of a project whether it would be a small project, a hobby or something big, but you decide that you're not very good at it or it's not going to work and you give up. The next trait is avoiding, and this might be avoiding confrontation or people or situations, anything that might cause you discomfort. And it's something that you're doing regularly, this avoidance. So that would be trait number three of perfectionist behaviours. The next one is not knowing when to stop. And this is to do with driving yourself relentlessly to achieve a goal or to get something perfect. Not knowing when to stop means that you don't have an off switch. You just keep pushing yourself. Is that you? If it is, tick that box, write that one down. The next perfectionist behavior is excessive checking. So this might mean checking that your alarm is set five or six times for the next day or checking something that you've written that you want to send out to friends or colleagues or clients, checking it repeatedly to make sure it's correct, that you haven't missed anything. And similarly, the next perfectionist behavior is obsessively correcting things. So you're, you're perhaps having 
nine or ten edits of a document or a performance or something before you feel like you can legitimately put it out there. The next one is seeking reassurance and I think all of us do this at some point but in a perfectionist type situation you would be needing external validation for everything that you do in case it's not right, in case you get something wrong, in case it's not perfect. So it's not that so much that you're seeking reassurance, it's more your motivation for doing so. Perfectionist behaviours could also include slowness. Going slow is kind of an avoidance behaviour which we mentioned earlier. Going slow means taking time to get things right, making sure you do it perfectly and also avoiding putting it out there. So going really, really slow on things could be a perfectionist behaviour. Overcompensating is another one. If you feel like you don't get something right, then you might go over the top to try and make amends for it. Another one is not delegating. You might have been in the situation where you need to give somebody a task and you think that it's easier and quicker if you do it yourself and you trust the results that you'll get if you do it yourself more specifically than if you try and teach somebody else which means that you never delegate. This is really important if you're trying to build a business or a team, if you're trying to get your kids to become self-responsible, anything like that. Delegating is so important to hand over responsibility and to help other people build competence. But some people don't delegate because of this fear that whatever happens will be imperfect when it gets passed over. Perfectionist behaviour also includes excessive organising and list making. Now this is somebody who cannot live without their to-do list and has to spend a lot of time planning and organising. Planning's great but this is taking it to the next level. Hoarding is also a perfectionist behaviour. I'm not quite sure about that one but I think this is to do with uh, not wanting to miss out on anything perhaps. Perfectionists also try to change other people's behaviour. They want people to be like them or to be neat like them or to uh, not embarrass themselves. I had somebody once come to me and say, I saw a picture of you kayaking on social media and I think you should take that picture down. And I said, oh, why is that? And she said, well, because you're kind of looking wet and bedraggled, you know. And I said... Oh, it's kayaking. <laughs> and she said, yes, but, you know, other people might see that. And she kind of tapered off. And what can you say? She was trying to change my behavior to get me to post a certain way on social media so that people would think a certain thing about me. But, you know, the reality is I cannot influence what people think about me. It is their choice. So that would be another perfectionist trait is trying to change someone else's behaviour or opinion, trying to get them to do what you want them to do. And the last point is having difficulty making decisions, probably because you want the most perfect outcome and you're not sure which is going to give you the best outcome. So you avoid the decision in the first place. So if there's any sort of state of not feeling good enough, being super critical, um, constantly fretting and checking yourselves, then those are all the sorts of signs and symptoms of perfectionist behaviour. The thing is that our attitudes, 
our beliefs, that is, and our mental rules are things that drive our behaviours and they're all things that we can change. But before we talk about that, let's talk about what perfectionism isn't. Now that we've talked about that list of what it is, perfectionist isn't wanting more for yourself or your life. If you want more for yourself in your life and you have a vision, a vision and a goal and an ambition and you want to achieve something amazing, that's not perfectionist behaviour. It's simply wanting something different than what you have now. And that's totally okay. Another non-perfectionist trait is setting and achieving stretch goals. I'm not talking about being in your comfort zone and I'm not talking about trying to overachieve either, but knowing that you're a little outside of your comfort zone, looking to do something that's new or different is not perfectionist behaviour. It's totally normal. A third non-perfectionist behaviour is benchmarking your performance against others. Now this is different from comparing. Comparing is looking at yourself as an absolute beginner Comparing yourself with somebody who has 15 years of experience in something and saying, oh, I'm not like that person. <laughs> That's totally irrational. What I'm talking about is, let's say you're totally new at something, you might say, what would be the normal thing for me to be achieving right now? Or what are other people at my level achieving or doing? So looking around you for some sort of measurability of your performance, but not relying on it as a pass or a fail. Similarly, measuring progress against a standard isn't perfectionism. It's simply saying, this is the standard, how do I fare? It's an objective look at something that allows you to measure your progress. Nothing more, nothing less. Having a strong work ethic isn't perfectionism either. It simply means you have strong values around doing a good job. It could become a perfectionist trait if you try to over-deliver or um, overcompensate or be perfect or constantly check. But if you're not doing those things, if you simply want to do a good job and deliver a great service to your customer or be a great mother, if you want to have a strong work ethic in those areas, it's simply speaking of your values rather than perfectionism. And that's okay. Being competitive isn't perfectionism either. It simply means that you enjoy competing against others. It creates a challenge. It creates interest. Instead of a boring old consistent routine, you've got something to look forward to and be excited about. It's not perfectionism. Being discerning isn't perfectionism either. It's easy when you're a perfectionist to want to not do something or not be associated with certain people or certain things because they're not good enough. Being discerning simply means you choose who you spend your time with due to an alignment in values or not. It's totally different than being perfectionist. Being organised isn't perfectionism. It means that you make a list and get things done. It's not over-listing or over-checking. It's just simply managing your time well. Not perfectionism. <laughs> if you believe in doing a job properly, seeing it through to the end and finishing, even if it takes a long time, that's not perfectionism either. If that job takes you time and you need time to think and process and work out how to do it, let's say you're making a dress like I am at the moment. I'm not rushing the dress. I don't need to have it finished by tomorrow. It might take me a couple of months to do it. 
I'm working on it a bit at a time, I want to do a good job. And so if I have an hour per week to spend on the dress, I'll do a good job in that time and I know that I'll keep going until I finish it. I want to do a good job, but I'm not going over the top or too slow. That's not perfectionism. Wanting to look professional isn't perfectionism either. Wanting to look perfect is, but simply wanting to look professional means that you want to show up a certain way. You want to be admired or seen as somebody who could help other people. You want to be a role model perhaps. That's different from wanting to be perfect. And lastly, having good attention to detail is not a perfectionist trait either. It simply means that you're thorough. And that's a great thing, especially if you're an employee looking for work. So I'd like you to think about those two lists. Perhaps in the first list you were saying, yes, that's me, yes, that's me, oh, that's definitely me. But I wonder how you feel after hearing the second list. I propose that perhaps you are more likely to be ticking boxes on that second list of non-perfectionist behaviours than on the first. And that just maybe you aren't truly a perfectionist. Maybe you just have a sense of control and comfort. Maybe you're mostly relaxed about yourself and your appearance. Maybe you just have some normal fear or uncertainty about trying new things. Perhaps you have a healthy desire for security, not any sort of obsession. I wonder if you've been caught up in this perfectionist bandwagon that I see, giving yourself a label without really exploring the truth. By now you can see that some behaviours are clearly perfectionist and some are not. It's totally okay for you to have standards, expectations and performance measures in your life. The thing is, if they get a little bit out of control, you might be heading toward perfectionist territory. And if that's the case, then you can always work on your emotional well-being. You can learn to manage your mindset and rewire your thinking patterns. That takes a bit of patience and practice, but by changing what you say to yourself, and how you respond to situations on a daily basis, over time, you will rewire your thinking patterns. And you can say goodbye to being a perfectionist, if that's what you truly are. I hope you have a new perspective on perfectionism right now. And thanks for listening. If you need any help, just reach out on melanie at melaniejwhite.com. I'd love to hear from you or be able to help you if I can. And if you think this podcast might help somebody else please feel free to share it okay that's it from me i'll see you next time and bye for now the podcast you just heard was made using anchor ever thought about making your own podcast anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started it's a one-stop shop for recording hosting and distributing podcasts best of all it's a hundred percent free Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.